Supposed to give a dumb talk? It's your schedule. So, I was, uh, okay, so I'm suggesting how to come to the, what we mean by the awakened mind. Um, so the word puto is awake, to know, knowing. Um, not knowing in a the, in a kind of discerning, uh, a kind of an analytical sense, I know that's a Buddha, knowing before you say anything about it. It's a pre-verbal. So, as in Sumeo, it's like this. Of course, how else could it be? <laughs> but to bring the mind to silence, uh, uh, and then to appreciate that. And that's hard to do because our minds, our attentions engage with objects sounds and sights and memories and tastes and smells and projects and emotions and all the, the whole nine yards. And the thing about objects is no object is reliable because all objects are contingent. Sense objects, emotional objects, objects I mean objects in awareness, they're not reliable. You can't, you can't really depend on emotion you can't depend on a person. You can't depend on, on... We do depend on people and we do know our emotions, but they're all, because they're always contingent, um, with the spiritual journey, I think, is finding that which isn't contingent, which isn't dependent, which does not um, depend on any kind of experience. So, like, the calmness of this room depends on sound, maybe. <laughs> right? The awareness doesn't depend on calmness or sound. So that object is a part of the objective sense experience, and if I'm dependent on a silent shrine room for peace, then I have to get rid of that. Well, I can't get rid of it, so I might as well just be angry. And then I could go and say, oh, this modern world is terrible, and so on, right? But actually, just the sound, and sound is that way. So as Ajahn Shah would say, he says, stop going out there and bothering that sound. <laughs> and that's what we do, right? Whereas awareness, so that's what you're, all, you're always doing. You're waking up to the way things are, to like sense of interruption, you know, so trying to talk, concentration is a bit bothered. Oh, interruption feels this way. Always, always, and it's beautiful. It really, it really works. It really works. And and as soon as you depend on an object, you attach to an object or the uh, objective uh, experience that we have, then you're done. <laughs> you're toast, and that's called dukkha, suffering. And yet, as human beings, we'll always be trying to make the objective world as as beautiful and as 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 harmonious and as uh, uh, welcoming. And you know, we'll always do that. That's our human, you know, obviously. So we don't, we don't go out there and just eat salt sandwiches. <laughs> we try to have a good lunch. It's a beautiful thing to do. You know? So it's not dismissing the objective world, or or sense experience, or or loving relationships, or or um, art, or anything. It's not a dismissal love. It's just like there's this other dimension which is actually m- much more secure, beautiful. 
uh, and actually available. This is the thing. Beauty is not always available. Harmony is not always available. But this sense of awakeness is always available. And so in Buddhism we say that's our real home. Sometimes in Zen they say it's Buddha nature. or And, and, and it's very optimistic. So, so like, I was reading somewhere like, I've never read Freud, but Freud had a pretty grim view of human psyche, didn't he? It was kind of pretty mucky stuff. It was pretty pessimistic. And how much was that psychology got? Yeah, I guess Jung was different, he was much more optimistic. But the Buddha is very, you know, the, the consciousness which is free is radiant. It's still, it's free, yeah, it's beautiful. And so, how do I get that? How do I how do I live in a conditioned world and realize the unconditioned? It's, it's a kind of interesting philosophical question. Well, the Buddha said, yeah, there are ways, and you, you lay a foundation, you lay a foundation of goodness. So, first and foremost, uh, the Buddha's suggestion is have good friends. That's the kind of it's interesting. He says, what's the most important thing in the holy life to the monks? Ananda, what do you think? Oh, oh, friends, friendship is 50%. No, he says 100% good friendship, spiritual friendship. Because spiritual friendship uh, advises you and, and persuades you to, to incline towards goodness, to incline towards the unconditioned, towards transcendence, towards freedom. It's a good friendship still. So, what's a good friend? Well, okay, if I'm, I was saying last night, let's say I'm really angry at the neighbor for cutting my trees down or something, and then my neighbors and my friends say, yeah, yeah, they're horrible. Why don't you cut their trees down? <laughs> not a good friend. Because <laughs> that's not taking you to transcendence, it's taking to conditions, to revenge and, and all the rest of it. Whereas, whereas the good friend says, yeah, it's a bummer, isn't it? Yeah, how does that feel? Makes you awake. The feeling of wanting to murder. <laughs> so a, a good friend awakens, doesn't it? And then, uh, then, so what conditions um, this 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 journey or this possibility of realizing the unconditioned? And that's the way Buddhism talks about this intersection of the timeless with time. I was trying to remember that poem again. Uh, Man's curiosity searches past and future and clings to that dimension. But to apprehend the intersection of the timeless with time is the occupation of a saint, no occupation either, but a life lived in love, ardor, selflessness, and self-surrender. Love, ardor, selflessness, and self I can understand that. Yeah, that makes sense. Love, ardor, selflessness, and self-surrender. You have to give up. Right? And yet the, the desire mind and the, the mind of fear and, and greed, hatred and delusion and so on wants to get something from the world or protect itself from the world where the awake mind is not demanding anything. And it's like the, 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 the horn goes, it's not demanding anything. Um, and yet, if someone's in the monastery and they're misbehaving and not living by the rules, I'll throw them out. So the, 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 the thing about this teaching of transcendence is that lay people don't see is the, the community that the Buddha built it through or, or encouraged it through, a community which had a lot of responsibility to each other, 
very high moral standards, very high standards of renunciation and simplicity, aspiration, hard work, hard meditation, and so on. That that sense of transcendence was was taught within a very um, rigorous uh, social framework. So if you only if you only teach this sense of oh, just be awake, and oh, the cars you know it's honking, not a problem. The roof is leaking, not a problem. <laughs> War, just you know. Not a problem. Well, maybe it is a problem. Maybe you have to do something about it. Right? So in a monastery, yeah, we have problems, and we have conflicts, and we try to discuss them, and so on and so forth. But the context is not to try to make the monastery perfect. That will never happen. But the context is also not, well, it's just, you know, life is a bummer, you know, aren't monks, you know, it's just... You know, live under a rock or something. You know, we live in society. So, trying to be socially responsible and making that social vehicle your vehicle for transcendence, rather than hoping the social vehicle will itself fulfill you. And no, no monastery, no relationship can really fulfill you in that way. There can be supports. So the question is more like, what's not the perfect relationship or the f- perfect? Monastery, whatever. What's what? What are the supports for being able to awaken? So, if you understand what awakeness is, just in these little ways that I talked about, then you can. Then it starts to make a lot of sense. Well, a clean life or sobriety, say. So, like smoking dope isn't going to make you all nice, nice and clear-minded. It's going to make you stoned. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. So it's not a, like a, a puritanical view on alcohol or, or LSD or things like that. It's just, it's not going to work. It's not a good foundation. It's not going to work. Lying, it's not going to work. It's going to make you paranoid and, and worried and mistrustful. Um, infidelity or promiscuity. So these are the obvious moral things. What, what, else, will, what else will help you? To awaken, well, then you have to just look in your own lifestyle, in your own mind. Well, what What are the things that put me to sleep? What are the kind of mental factors or social factors that get me lost in my habits, in, in, in whatever? So maybe it's just too much Netflix. <laughs> you know, kind of binging on Netflix for two nights, you know? But is that really conducive? Okay, so do, I mean, I've never done this, <laughs> but I do Netflix one night, I, I hear people do that. Is that expensive? I don't know. No. <laughs> That's even worse. Yeah. So I do eight hours of Netflix, let's say, and eat lots of pizza and so on. So what's the effect? The effect is I'll have just constant memories of Netflix, right? One is okay. <laughs> But you can see how then sensual, uh, too much sensual gratification, the result will be to dull the mind, or too much information will be will make the mind busy. So then how do you go to work? <laughs> well, you have to work. So you've got a very complicated job at work. You're dealing with a lot of people and so on and so forth. That's just the, that's just the nature of our, our complex society. But how do you then get out of that complexity and come back to simplicity? How do you how do you rest the mind? This is what we're doing. You know, we're resting the mind. We're allowing the mind some some clarity. If we don't give it that, you know, you, you, if you don't give the mind a rest and 
then you just have this backlog of stuff. And then you have to do a retreat. The first four retreat days of the retreat are hell, and I can't look at you. <laughs> the first three days of the retreat, I just take my glasses off. I just don't look at people. <laughs> and on day four, I kind of, okay, it looks better out there. <laughs> and why... Why is that? Because there's this, this accumulation of stress and, 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 and so on and so forth. Right? So the more we can come to these kind of situations and the more you have daily life practice or uh, a daily meditation practice. That's why we kind of really emphasize that. Very, very helpful. So if you want to meditate, meditate. If you don't want to meditate, meditate. Um, and, and this is why you know, many... Like, that's what, one of the reasons I became a monk was partially just for the discipline, partially also because the language was about transcendence rather than accumulation. So how do you get a lifestyle that goes towards that? I don't know. But then your, your inner world, uh, the things that you experience, what kind of... Um, where does eye-making, this, this, this lovely two words, ahankara mimankara in Pali, the eye-making, my-making, you know, where the the thinking mind is creating a self through some kind of a narrative. Where is that, what kind of uh, narratives say most obsess you? And where, you know, what, how does that work in your own mind? Right? So when you see that, okay, I tend to uh, worry a lot maybe. Okay, that's simple. But you, you, got, you start to see it as, as, a, as a, 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 a type of mind activity process rather than just I'm worrying about A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> so if you just kind of take the object you're worried about, and I shouldn't worry about that, and I shouldn't, you're not really looking at worry, you're looking at the dimension just beyond worry. So, so what is worry about? So the skill of the contemplative is to step away from the particular narrative. You still have to deal with your worries, but you, you start to see, oh, the, 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 the momentum of this conscious, this mind, is to go towards this worry. And you see, oh yeah, okay. Now we've all done that. We all can see that. So then what is the skill of awakening to worry? And it's no longer, what am I worried about? But how do I, what skills do I need to develop so I don't get always caught up with worry? Or fantasy, or shopping, or uh, anger or regretting or self-disparagement or anxiety, you know, all the different ways that we can go off into these patterns. So once you, once you recognize that, and I think we all have, then you start to make very strong intentions to awaken to that underlying habit. Hmm? And how can you do that? Well, you just, you just say, oh, worry. Now, that's a big thing. You know, it's a big thing of me worrying about the monastery and saying, oh, worry feels this way. Yeah, but I have to do this and that. Yeah, yeah, but worry feels this way. Yeah, but I have to do this and I have... No, no, but you're, you come back. You come back to something more primal. And, and, and then I find the most powerful thing is to dis... dis, dis um, what would be the word? To take out the sting or to take out the reality is to, to use these reflections on the sense of self. So there's the worry, and then I ask myself, Okay, there's worry. So I recognize, I'm not trying to get rid of it. And where's the worrier? And that, that really breaks it up because all of a sudden there's silence. There's no worrier. Four seconds later, 
yeah, yeah, I know that stuff, that's Buddhism, but I really have to solve this problem. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, but where is the warrior? And you see how diligent you have to be in this. You're very diligent in this practice of awakening, right? In the midst of, of the kind of uh, de- defilements of mind, that come, we call these defilements of mind. So in Buddhism we'd say that the, the heart is pure, and that these clouds or these defilements uh, prevent us from noticing that purity of mind. So it's not that we are bad for anger, fear, or whatever, it's just that uh, there's a, a kind of falling asleep with those. And the awakening mind begins to know that. So if I see that, that uh, let's say, my, my, my mind is conditioned a lot by resentment, maybe, you know, I keep having memories of resenting things that have happened to me, I, I make a note of that. I say, okay, this year, I'm going to work on resentment. So, you know, long-range plan rather than just this particular resentment. I said, well, that came up a lot the last day or last week. Oh, I didn't notice that before. Oh, okay. So resentment. Okay, so I'll give it, I'm going to give it three or four years. <laughs> give a good long range. <laughs> You're really going to work with this. And that, that, that takes out the sting of self-disparagement. Because self-disparagement is such a uh, tyranny, isn't it? Oh, there you go, you're resenting envy or Damu. Isn't that resentment too? <laughs> and and so say, oh yeah, it's this way. Resentment feels this way. This is a habit, it feels this way. So it's a recognition and acceptance. But it's not, it's well I'm just a resentful person and I resent you. <laughs> it's not that either. You know, it's it's the kind of middle way. So then you see and as you as you identify these things, you say, Wow, there it is again. But who's the resenter? So then the very resentment, if you, if you make it your intention to work with it, becomes your object of awareness, rather than a problem in itself. And this is great, because it's going to come up a lot. It's a habit. What we usually do is, ah, oh, there's a resentment again. May you be well, may you be well, may you be well. <laughs> and that's just that's suppression. Um, so what the, the technique I was using earlier, I'm not... You know, I'm not suggesting suppression, I'm suggesting using it when you're not going this direction. But if I'm going that direction, well, who is it that's resenting? And then, then you make, the stronger you make that intention, the more you notice the arising of, of that, more it makes you practice, the more it dissolves. Because the fuel of, of any, any habit is this I-making, my-making, ahankara, mimankara, that's the fuel. As I was saying last night, I say this quite often, upadana is the word for attachment, and it means both attachment and fuel. Right? And we all know that if I, if I use this example, that if I have feelings of resentment and I think resentful thoughts, then the future will be more resentful. So there's the attachment, which is the thinking. There's the, there's the vipaka kamma of having function in that way for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Then there's the awakening, and there's the fire. There's the fire of resentment. And that fuel has to burn off. Sorry. Because why? Because it's been conditioned into the mind to function that way. So that that burning is where it takes a lot of patience. Even though you have the insight, and you think you've got it sussed, yes and no. It hasn't yet reached cessation. And so we have this idea of the, you know, the, like Nibbana, the idea of Nibbana is like a fire going out and, and, and consciousness being released. The image of fire in, 
in India was that a fire is trapped by its fuel and that when, it, when the fuel is no longer there, uh, the, fire, the, the fire is released, the energy of the fire is released. And this is what the realization of Nibbana was about. It's not heaven, it's not in Florida, it's not a rock, you know, Nirvana is a place you go to, but it's actually a much more complex imagery in Indian philosophy and in Indian thought that, that fire was an element which is trapped by the fuel. And once that fuel burns out, the Buddha asks, and people ask, okay, where does an arhat, where does an enlightened being go to on death? And he says, where does the fire go when the fire goes out? Can't answer. Can't answer. It's, it's, it's unanswerable. You can't figure that one out. So the idea of, of, of consciousness being trapped in this burning, this burning of greed, hatred, and delusion. You know, the, the fire images were quite strong in Buddhism. So you can see that, that if, if the, my, my attention, awareness, or whatever, is caught by resentment, and then this burning of resentment through thought, through, through resentful thoughts, then if I awaken to that, oh, this is burning, this is resentment, feels this way, then first of all, awareness or consciousness has a bit of freedom. And it bears witness to that, and then when that fire goes out, it's no longer trapped by the habits of resentment, or the habits of fear, or the habits of fantasy, or the habits of greed, hatred, and delusion. It's free. It's liberated. Right? It's a different. So, um, Nibbana, that's what that image is being used for. If you don't like Nibbana, then just use peace. <laughs> you use peace, or the island, or the highest happiness, or the unconditioned, or the uncreated. There's many, many many ways to talk about it. So in this example of resentment then, if I see, well that's where I want to practice awakening, rather than resentment being a personal problem, or a fault, even worse, right? I'm a terrible person, I still resent my, my uh, high school French teacher, <laughs> or whatever. Um, and then you make that your practice, and then what happens? Well, the fuel that is conditioned into the mind burns, and there's awareness and awareness and awareness, but now it's not being refueled by attachment, and attachment takes place through self-thinking. So because that's not refueled, there's the feeling, there's the feeling, there's the feeling, and then there's the coolness. There's the coolness of non-resentment, of non-anger, of non-fear, of non-greed. So we use non-language a lot. So you're not trying to get something, but you're noticing how... Now, non-language sounds very un, 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 uninvited. It would be much more like, you know, I end up like that, right? You know, my third eye is just blissed out. I'm being zapped by the Buddha. Whoa! <laughs> so that's much more appealing than non-anger. <laughs> so that, you know, that's a kind of... Yeah. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> I wouldn't. But what does like what does non-anger feel like? Well, what it feels like is actually love, uh, openness, and acceptance, and that's why we put so much emphasis on these heart qualities of of kindness and and compassion and and generosity and, and, and all those things because they're the unifying heart factors and the liberated. Consciousness is also embodied in uh, an emotional body. Right? There's still kind of emotional functioning, so the possibility of 
of freedom is also the, the possibility of connection. Because if, if there's no greed, hatred, and delusion, what's to separate? You know, where's to separate? It's just the sweat. Yeah. And you relate very uh, directly with the way things are. And that directness has no greed in it, no hatred, no, no personal agenda. And that's why compassion is so important, kindness is so important. And, and that comes in two ways. It come, one way is like just being patient with the negative, letting it burn out, and the other is encouraging that positive. But it's not just replacement therapy. You know, it's much more subtle than that, much more intelligent. It's not you're trying to suppress the bad guys to get the good guys on top. Right? It's not that. It's just that you you realize there is this kind of karmic uh, vipaka kama coming through, and you have to be very patient. But there's also times when you don't have to be patient with it. You have more space, and you can bring wholesome factors into the mind. And that would be great. <laughs> I must look into that. <laughs> I think that's pure land, isn't it? I'm not sure. <laughs> Always dreamed of. You know, sometimes you go to like to a great teacher, and that's what you hope will happen. <laughs> <laughs> you go to the great guru. Okay, give it to me. <laughs> I'm open and ready. <laughs> does that does that kind of make sense? How that how it all works? Mm-hmm. Any questions around that? Those ideas? I have a question. Please. Yeah. I have a friend who's taking marijuana because of pain. Mm-hmm. And I wondered how you would approach something <coughs> like that in terms of... Well, if it... W- yeah, I, I think... Uh, I know a monk who takes uh, marijuana for pain, but it does, I, I, there's the two drugs in it, right? The... What are the I, yeah, she's taking oil. It's yeah, pain. and it's got, what, teeth... C- 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 THC and CBD. CBD. CBD and CBD, it doesn't get you stoned. Okay. To me, you know, get stoned, great, I used to. <laughs> but it won't, it won't make your mind clear. So whatever, medic- and that's the true, like of any, like opioids or anything, which clouds your mind and, and prevents you from having clarity, that's going to be difficult to realize a piece of the mind. But having said that, pain can also make it very, very difficult, right? So how, how can any person negotiate pain with these good, I mean, these are very good things in our culture, mm-hmm. that we have painkillers, and still stay clear. So my mom, mom took a lot of Oxycontin, and uh, quite a bit, and she seemed pretty clear. But, you know, it really kept her pain levels down to something which was manageable and livable. So I was grateful for it. And now I hear all this, you know, story of addiction and so on, which is very sad. So I would say it's 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 not like, it's not a moral issue, it's a clarity issue. Mm-hmm. It's more like that, isn't it? Yeah. So like people ask, especially people from Quebec who drink wine. And <laughs> 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 what about that precept? I say, mm, well, it's up to you. Now, and, and basically, it is up to you. Know, but we don't have wine in the in the monastery. I'm sorry. Can I bring my flagon? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can't do that. Um, so, these are kind of personal. The, the story I you've heard this story oftentimes, where a lady wrote to me, and and you know, first precept is not to kill. And she's she's growing roses, and she says to me in a very irate email, 
the aphids are eating my roses, what should I do? Like, it's my fault. You've got these damn precepts, and I can't kill these aphids. So I wrote back to her and said, it's your problem. It's your roses. So it's not so much that it's some kind of moral uh, overlay, you know, that, that man has created for all humanity. It's more that there are consequences to killing, but there's consequences to not killing. Your, your, your roses die, and, and there's different consequences to killing your neighbor because they started the aphids, as opposed to killing the aphids. It's very, very complex. I suggest not killing in general. <laughs> but the beauty of Buddhism is that it really leaves it up to you. And a monastery doesn't leave it up to you, you know, there, there are limits. And, and then you decide for yourself. Rather than it being... Like, Buddhist morality is not, it's not based on kind of ideas of guilt and punishment. Not, not on that, it's just guilt. What's, what, will, what will the effect be on my mind? Right? So people ask me, like, what about white lies? I don't know. I mean, what's the consequence, right? Um, what will be the consequence in your mind or others? Will you just become a, a gray liar? <laughs> Escalate, or I don't know. And, and each of us has to decide on our own. But these five precepts are a kind of, they're, they're a good outline of how to do it. Any, any other? So, um, you said like Buddhism is kind, is, in a way, is very optimistic. You said, and that the underlying, like in the stillness, that there's a quality to it that is loving. Or, and yeah, I just wanted to hear a little bit more about what, because they don't usually talk about what that underlying quality. Yes, yeah, true. And so. In my, I feel like, I think that is the underlying quality, that's what I think, but then, so when you say it, I'm like, oh, I like that. <laughs> it's very true, it's, it's underemphasized. It's more emphasized in the Northern School. Okay. Right, so the Northern School emphasized it more in terms of like the Bodhisattva idea. The Northern School is actually quite different than the Southern School in the language they use. So in the language they use, the Arahant is selfish. Mm. Oh. Huh? <laughs> And so the Arahant is copped out because he hasn't saved all sentient beings, which is different to say the least. Okay? But in the southern school, my school, um, and, and you'd have to kind of really enter into the northern school to see how they use the word Arahant, because they use it differently. They use the word Sunyata differently than the southern school. That's all um, complicated. But, but what I think is important in, in Theravada Buddhism is the four Brahmaviharas. And the four Brahma-viharas of, of goodwill, compassion, empathetic joy, and peace, or equanimity, are the manifestations of the free heart. That's the way I would look at it. Because a, 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 a being who is enlightened, say like Ajahn Chah or Lumpa Liam, they, they, they're really there, and, and, and they radiate a certain quality, you can see it. Um, so Lompoc Cha, you know, he was, he was very, very um, loving is maybe too Western a word, but you just wanted to be near him. He's just so, it wasn't just charisma, it was just this, this deep sense of peace and, 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 and care and kindness in him. Lompoc Liam is incredibly silent. You know, Lompoc Liam is Ajahn Cha's successor at Wapapong. 
uh, this kind of mountain of silence and, and stillness. And in his, in, his, in his description of his own enlightenment, he says, and, you know, I've read that, I think, no worries on retreats or something? Yeah, yeah. And in it he says, and, 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 and people were exactly the way they were. There were no big people, no small people, no good people, no bad people. And you could see his sense of, of connection was no longer caught in the discrimination of self and other. There's a kind of purity in his contact with all things, just the way they were. And that's an aspect of love which isn't got that emotional tone of romantic love. So in, in, in Western culture, the word love is actually very problematic because it can mean romantic love or fish and chips love or you know whatever whatever you want. So the words we use are around the Brahma Viharas. And so the manifestation, I would say, of the liberated heart is always goodwill. Always goodwill. But the manifestation of that liberated heart for someone who is um, like really happy and successful isn't so much compassion as joy. Right? But someone who broke their leg, the manifestation isn't joy. <laughs> oh, great, you broke your leg, I'm really happy for you. But it's more like, ah, how can I help you? So it's action, it's action in that. And, and behind it all is always peace. Because the, the, the mind is now liberated from any need in, in culture and, and, and so on, and it has, it has an abiding now which is so fundamentally different than the usual abidings of need and, and all, all that entails, right? So I, I feel that Brahma Viharas, those, those practices are very important because they always tune you in to a way of connection. And if you look at greed, hatred, delusion, they always alienate, don't they? They separate, they divide. That, you'll find that much more, the word love, much more in the um, Sufi tradition. You'll find it probably much more in Advaita Vedanta, uh, the language there, maybe in the northern school more. Uh, we're a pretty dry outfit. <laughs> we're probably the driest outfit going. Because I think the way it's evolved is probably there's, there is a tendency to look at, to that kind of celebratory love. You know, they have exalt, you know, kind of experiences of great exalted love and so on, but those are very ephemeral. This sense of connection where, where the mind isn't grounded in discriminations of time and self and space and so on is, 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 is the, the love of non-duality. And that's, that's kind of, doesn't have that romantic kind of tone to it. Love is a, is a kind of difficult word, and yet it's the word we have, isn't it? Anything else? Yes? I have a question about practice this mm-hmm. morning. Um, the second time, the second form, which was slightly different, the, the first part, when I first did it, I used I, mm-hmm. and then there was this affinity to use my name Okay. Instead, mm-hmm. which seemed to have a different impact. Okay. And I'm just wondering if that would be the case. Like, I guess it's my experience. Yeah. Sometimes that's good because you, 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 the, the, the word I um, somehow doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But using a name, 
certainly like like if when I use the word lomposomedo, that has a has a strong tone, has a strong image. So it's it's up for experiment, but if you can get the tone of the heart to be here, and it, and, and 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 the the recitation is done in a careful way where the tone of heart is constantly encouraged, then I'd go for it. A lot of this is intuitive, isn't it? You're just going to, you try stuff out and, and then see how it works. Like Lompo Semedo, sometimes he's talked about, he suffered a lot from self-disparagement, very self-critical. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he would do things like, Semedo, I love you. Ugh. <laughs> 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 he'd find quite, oh. And he'd do it deliberately, just to look at that, you know, self-definitions that we have. Because they're just concepts, aren't they? Mm-hmm. That's all they are. But they have, they're loaded. They're loaded concepts. It's funny when he talks about that. <laughs> Hi, John. When you say he looked at there, I was just gonna, it was related to another question when, you know, worry comes up. And you say, don't try and figure out the worry. Just, this is worry. Yeah. So, but... Long person made of then he says he'd bring it up I love you and just to feel it. Yeah. But it's just he's looking at it, he's not analyzing it, he's yeah. just feeling He's doing something that is counter habitual. Oh. Right? His habit is to say very oh Sameda, you're hopeless. Yeah, yeah, they they think you're a good teacher, but they don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so he's going against that by bringing something else up. And then, what, but what's he doing with that? He's just feeling it. It's feeling. He's just feeling okay, it. So, it's the same so, so with worry, what you do is, yeah, I'm going to die. Oh, no. Or my kids are going to die. Or, yeah, the cancer is going to kill me. Or, yeah, I, I, I will be destitute when I'm old. You don't want to go there. You, you know, that's really pessimistic. But you go there deliberately to feel it. But if you just indulge in that, then that's just worry. See what I mean? So let's say I, like, I'm... I'm Maybe I, I get, um, you know, I get diagnosis of, of, of some sickness, and, and, and then I say, "Oh, I might die." Might? <laughs> Is that the question? <laughs> and you you make it conscious, yeah. You make the worst conscious, but you have to do that skillfully because you could just go into really negative negative states of mind. So you can't present that to everyone because that's where they've gone already. But through worry. Now you're making the worst call. This is what the worst outcome would be this way. And then you, you, feel, you feel the terror of that. What was I doing? I was doing that with, uh, with global warming and uh, societal collapse the other day. I just, I just went to that. Oh, that's a horrible feeling. Now all of society will collapse. I won't be able to do my furniture. It's <laughs> 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 a horrible feeling. But I made it conscious. As opposed to, oh, society's going to collapse, you know, keep it in the background, yeah, just keep, the, keep watching the Netflix or whatever. And then it passes. It passes, yeah. It, it's intense and it passes. And then I do what I, you know, plant trees and so on. And mm-hmm. Trees don't get anywhere. <laughs> I have the most pathetic trees. Akka would not be pleased. It's just that it soil is so poor. It takes time. It's so yeah. poor there. Yeah, <laughs> So that's what he was doing, you see. He was like bringing up that very thing which was kind of opposite. And that's what you try to do with worry. But you have to do it skillfully. And doing it skillfully. Okay, so maybe this is going too long. But it's yeah. the same. So this is, I'm trying to do this with anxiety. And it, it's, 
Bring up the most, what, you know, bring up what you're anxious about yeah. and say it will happen. Yeah. But, but don't believe. it becomes too much and because there's so much discomfort and pain within it. Yeah. So well, then you'll, stay, you'll, then you'll stay with the anxiety until you accept it, won't you? Wouldn't that be the case? It, it, you know, it has to be done skillfully because it can just become a, a kind of negative fatalism. So whenever I do something like that, I embody that. What, you know, what is it that I'm really, a, what is this feeling of fear? And if I make that conscious, then I don't dwell on it mm-hmm. because that, that would be, be more thought, right? So it's kind of, uh, well, like, like, like my first few years of meditation, I had a lot of anger. You know, a lot of rage and stuff. Well, not rage, but just pissed off. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I kind of do metta practice and all that. And Lord Paul Samir said, just swear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's always. So I just walk up and down the meditation path swearing. <laughs> Fortunately, our, our, our meditation huts were well separated. And then I just noticed it. Oh, yeah, the anger feels this way. And then I was okay. Then I was on board uh, to awareness. And these are techniques that... But if I just then did pillow punching for the next five years, I'd just be an angry person. Right? Every time I felt anger... You know. <laughs> I'd, just be, I'd just be an angry creep. But what I did is I just allowed it to be conscious. Oh, yeah, and anger feels this way. And then I was aware. And that's the principle. Rose, you look quizzical. <laughs> yeah, I'm just taking myself through a scenario, and, and uh, it, it's what happens in the body, really. And sometimes it just gets stuck. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it moves away, it moves around, it can just lodge. Um, and then what? Yeah, that's, yeah, you have to explore that. If it gets just lodged, uh, I suppose pranayama, you know, just have to move the energy, yeah, those kinds of yeah, those are intuitive things. Yeah, yeah. Like, like when I was ha- having the anger, I didn't sit with it. I, I, I just tore the meditation path, yeah. tore a hole in it. You know, like three hours, <laughs> some serious walking meditation. Nothing kind of gentle. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe there are various sensitivities in. I feel a lot in my body. So yeah. it sort of comes very quickly into the body and can overwhelm. And, and, and the overwhelming nature of it is not in thought, it, or is it, in, um, why is it overwhelming? Why is it overwhelming? It, well, it's extremely, extremely strong. So it's oh. extremely unpleasant? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and it, why it, is the extremely unpleasant overwhelming? Why? Yeah. Well, there's fear. I think the fear of it taking over. Oh, okay, okay, but okay. I understand that. Um, so the fear is that this mood will overtake you if it's not interrupted, or...? Um, well, I'm perhaps looking for it to move on, I mean, that's, that's, that's okay. unskillful. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> what we... are tr- putting an agenda in. Yeah, yeah, all of that, yeah. I feel very delicate and difficult. <laughs> and, and how can you not, in the beginning, do that, right? I will, I will be aware of you if you dropped in. <laughs> and that's natural, but that's what we have to work through to get to that purity of awareness. Because yeah. the other doesn't work. And when something doesn't work, you go back to the drawing board, which is, why do I suffer? Attachment yeah. to craving. 
Yeah, it's not an attachment bit that is particularly hard. And sometimes there's fear and it's, um, cause fear is one of the biggest things that I kind of have to work with. And sometimes the fear is, um, is easily locatable and I can, if I've done long sits, I can see that. But if it's a short sit, then it, it, it can very quickly escalate. And, um, and the escalation is in thought or in bodily feeling? Bodily feeling. Bodily feeling. So you get heart rate changing. Right. And, um, and going to the toilet. <laughs> I've had that. It's great. It's a great laxative. <laughs> Fear is one. Yeah. Your stomach works great. <laughs> Sorry to be so graphic. It's called a, a suba. It's a Isn't that really the anxiety is, is felt in the body? Yes. Uh-huh. It's also in the mind. Like there is resistance. Resistance comes from the mind, and sometimes the resistance is so subtle, and the anger is so clear. Mm-hmm. So I realize that. And and maybe may I add that the the vipaka kama, the kama of it, is so strong. Mm-hmm. So like a mother with a child. Uh, the the connection and the uh, emotional energies there I don't even, I can't even understand I've never had kids but it's so powerful as opposed to just being afraid of giving a public talk or something like that so so powerful so you also have that yeah. I'm sorry I interrupted yeah 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 what I'm trying to say that if if I am able to stop at before getting into sankara Getting into thought. Yeah, uh-huh. and proliferating. Yeah. And then, which is uh, not possible sometimes, then uh, I can come back to the body and uh, with deep breathing and being really present yeah. in the body. And you're better at it than you were 10 years ago, correct? Yeah. 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 That's hope. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes the fire you were talking about is so strong yeah, yeah, it's true. that there is nothing, even though I know yeah. that it's already in consciousness. That's when you have an ice cream cone. Ice cream? That's when you have some comfort food. Yeah. Sometimes it is too much. You just have to, yeah. you know, you just have to distract yourself. It's just too. It's too strong, and, and, and take care of yourself, okay? I'll have to do a strategic retreat. I'll come back to you later. That's okay, too, right? Yeah. It's very intense, yeah. Human sometimes mind. it's so intense that I can't even distance myself from it. Yeah, that. yeah. I go for a while, but I take it with me. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, samsara can be very, very uh, oppressive. Really oppress you these things, yeah, yeah. So, but you know, what choice do we have? <laughs> Morphine. <laughs> so you know, you, you, it's interesting with this path. Once you've started it, you can't really drown yourself in distractions anymore because you've awoken now, and you just have to follow to enlightenment. I'm sorry, <laughs> you have no choice. <laughs> Uh, doing the meta, giving sending meta to this person, 
just go through saying, you know, I wish you, uh, I wish you, you have to feel it. In yeah. Your go deep, deep enough so that you, you feel it deeply. Well, yes and no, because also just the fact that you're not following uh, a negative narrative is helpful too. So you're going to get more results and more calm and more beauty and be able to sustain that practice if it is heartfelt. But, even if you just say a bit parrot talk at certain times in the practice, it's better than thinking destructive thoughts. So it's a kind of uh, temporary replacement therapy or something, huh? until you can get to that heartfelt quality. Because it preoccupies the mind as something which is neutral, at, at the very worst. And, and, and is wholesome in that way. So, but you, you certainly get the quality of calmness and centeredness, and, and you want to do it more because you get to that heart, heart quality. And then it's easier to go to the negative. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. not time to say going deep into the matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But sometimes it's very hard. It just you know, comes like a tape recorder. Well, the thing about Buddhism, it gives you many lifetimes to do this. <laughs> it's very, it's very, it's very generous kind of teaching. <laughs> you know that story with this Holiness of Dalai Lama, where he was giving a series of lectures at an abbey north of London on on the Gospels, on the four Gospels, and you know, like one of the questions was, if I, you've heard this, where they ask him, and, and, and Christ was resurrected. Did you, you, how do you understand that as a Buddhist? And so the Dalai Lama asked, so what's, what is resurrection? I rose from the dead. He says, oh yeah, our monks could do that. It was just it was so charming. <laughs> But at the end of it, he said, you know, we Buddhists have it a bit easier than you Christians. We've got many lifetimes to do this. <laughs> and all, I, the monks just loved him. They just really loved him. He was so beautiful. Shall we... Uh, yes, Tyrek, yeah. Um, Ajahn, how, do, how does one know in the moment um, uh, whether to use effort and technique versus letting go? Well, you let go first, and then you use effort and technique. Because the, the letting go, go gets you to the right place, and then you use technique to stay in the right place. If you use technique from not letting go, then you're probably in the wrong place already. So that's what I began with. Um, it's like this, and let's say, what's the next moment, right? And then, okay, that's it. You've let go. You're in the moment. And then you pick up the, the, the breath or whatever you want uh, as a technique for staying in the present moment. So if the, if the material that's coming through consciousness is not too dense, say, then you don't have to do much. You can just kind of top it up every now and then. What's the next moment? Mm-hmm. There's a bit of effort. But if the material is very, very dense and there's a lot of... Um, um, fear, let's say, then you just keep saying, yeah, and, and where's the body here? 
Where's the body? Oh, where's my guts? How do my guts feel? And who's feeling this? Where do my guts feel? Who's, so I'm really doing very strong body awareness, but from the awakened mind. Mm. Whereas if the technique is coming from trying to become, you're done. Get rid of, you're done. Because those are both abs- aspects of tanha. Um, so the, the most important thing, it's like both, actually, isn't it? Because mm. there should be... The practice isn't about becoming, it's about constantly letting go. Mm-hmm. So the technique's not about becoming, it's about letting go. So it might be letting go of a narrative by creating another narrative, but you know what you're doing. Whereas the person who doesn't understand that does the technique in order to get rid of the, the emotion or the feeling of suffering. Mm-hmm. So I do metta bhavana, and you know, I, I start to hate the, you know, the government or the neighbor, and oh, may, may the prim- premier be well, <laughs> may everyone enjoy their beer. <laughs> and you want to, oh, this is totally insincere, that's not going to work, mm-hmm. right? Whereas you kind of feel your, your mind going to hatred towards a, a political figure, I'm oh, sure hatred's this way, hatred's this way. May I be free from hatred. Right? So you're using the technique now, but using it skillfully. May I be free from hatred. May I be free from danger. Yeah, may I be free from mental suffering. Mm. And you bring the mind to metta bhavana mm. without you know, being silly about the, the, the political things you disagree with. Or whatever. Mm. Yeah? Oh, well, you mentioned resentment. I was just wondering if um, there was in Buddhism, you sometimes just reframe sure. the thing you're resenting or... Give an example. You had any, uh, well, insight on things like resentment at work, I know, is uh-huh. a problem for me because there's different tiers of worker and we're all doing the same work. So that, I mean, that's just the way it is. Some of us got in as casual, some are permanent. Right. So and I find it's hard not to resent that. You know, right. I know I make quite a bit of money, but then some of the time I'm unemployed and my coworkers, well, they got in at a certain time and... They have benefits and, and just that sort of thing. I wonder. So how would it? Well, one of the ways that Buddhism operates from there is like, well, this the, the, this is. It sounds fatalistic, right? But it can be like their karma, their 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 good fortune, gives them this. My good fortune or bad fortune gives me this. This is what I have to work with. So the sense of not engaging in self and other is the way to reframe it. So if the framework of resentment is always around self and other, then resentment will always be there. So the, the basic reframing, I would say, as I'm thinking, is the self-identity with the predicament. Yeah? And, and so if you're trying to solve it on that level, it'll never be solved. But if you kind of see that the problem is not the resentment itself, that it's the, the I creation around it, the sense of, well, Sally's got, you know, she's got this big raise, or she's got a pension and I have to work, that me and her, and you come back one step to the very uh, concrete feeling of resentment, you, you disengage the sense of self and other. That's the basic reframing that we use in Buddhism. It's, it's a bit... It might sound a bit abstract, but it actually is very, very uh, doable and very powerful. 
But it's hard to remember that because, you know, the, the situation is always stimulating the other because it's stimulating differences and, and that kind of thing. And I, maybe that's not much of an answer, but you, you know, you, you do have to be creative about these things. How can you, how can you create mental strategies which would reframe it for you? That's a good idea. Um, like in monasteries, we don't, we don't, we don't have, we have a hierarchy based on seniority, so we don't really have the problem of benefits. Everyone gets the same meal <laughs> and, and the same structure, but where you'd get jealousy probably would be around attainment or, or, or stated, like a lot of praise, so the monk would have to work through that. But we don't, you know, I don't live in a competitive environment, fortunately, I don't have that. I, I can be competitive, I have been as a, as a man in that, in my own mind, but nothing in my culture has encouraged that, that energy. And, and fortunately we all, you know, well I get the first shot at the cake. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken me 45 years to get this. <laughs> and I only take a small slice. <laughs> And I, you know, I think like talking with with people. Usually, these these particular um, challenges, you try to get someone else who is a contemplative in that situation. How do you do that? And that's the idea of of good friendship. How do you, how do you work with that? You know, because you and and you get you know, quite intelligent solutions from people dealing with the same things. Anything else? Yeah. I, I just wanted to mention, I, I've never been able to do metta that where it feels like, it just feels like I'm doing this rote thing and it never really works. Yeah. But today what was really helpful was the slowing it down mm -hmm. and at the end waiting for the silence. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And, it, and then it was like, oh, okay, because then it's kind of like any other <laughs> technique where there's the thought and then there's the... Silence, silence. Yeah. And it just made it completely different. So, so. Yeah, quite often with that, thank you for that. Yeah. You, quite often we're trying to get you know, the recitation finished. Yes. <laughs> Where are you going? Yes. <laughs> are you cooking a meal? Yeah. <laughs> Four more to do. <laughs> I had the same experience. Ah, okay. That's, it's very rare that I met her. Well, that's good for me to know then, yeah. Good, thank you. That's the way I learned too. Yeah, slow it all down. Because then, you know, you just do one. May I be free from mental suffering. And that's really applicable, like in these situations of, like, conflict rather than may, you know, may yeah. Mr. Hope, whatever it is. I didn't know it was, in the, yeah, I won't mention it. Um, and the beer guy. Uh, you know, that I have to kind of love him. May he be well, may he be successful, may he be Prime Minister. <laughs> but that's not it, you know. Yeah, it's about bringing, bringing the heart back. So, so it's your fault that he's Prime Minister. <laughs> not me, not me, not mine. <laughs> Shall we stretch the legs a bit? We've been sitting for a while. How about half an hour? Do some walking meditation and we'll be back in 30 minutes. Yeah?